Welcome to The Math of You, a podcast about formative media from when we were young. I'm Lucas Brown. On this, our 13th episode, I'll be talking to Jessica Fletcher, co-host of Rosie and Jessica's Day of Fun and West End Wardrobe Gremlin, about tween fiction from the 80s and 90s, particularly those that revolve around a shared hobby. Along the way, we'll discuss environmental fiction, how to gain your party planner interest badge if you're a brownie, and at what precise moment it becomes officially okay to bail on a pub quiz. We'll finish the show with our signature cocktail and tell you how you can become a guest on The Math of You. We join this conversation already in progress. Jessica, for those who may not know you, why don't you say who you are and what makes you, in the words of Chris Haley, a beautiful and unique snowflake? Well, my name is Jessica, and I usually say by day, I um, I think the description I gave you is I'm a uh, West End wardrobe gremlin. Which is amazing and should be on a business card. I'm, I'm getting them printed up as we speak. Excellent. And by night, I'm a podcaster, except really it should be the other way around because I have to podcast during the day because at night I am too busy doing my actual job because inconveniently people want to go to the theater at evenings and weekends. So, um, yeah, that's that's my social life scene too. <laughs> As someone who records very early in the morning on Saturdays and Sundays, I do appreciate that. Yeah, I, I find I'm a better podcaster when it's light out. Yeah, we go for, for 10 a.m. on a Monday morning. Oh, see, that's good. Actually, when I recorded your sister, I was at it was seven p.m. on a Sunday, and for the first like twenty minutes, I was useless. I just because I'm like, this is this is weird. I don't, <laughs> I don't know what's happening. What should I be doing? Where do I put my hands? I have no point of reference for this. <laughs> so, so you should mention what your podcast is for those who may not have heard it. Uh, yeah, I am one half of. I'm the Jessica half of Raising Jessica's Day of Fun which is a podcast that I do with my sister. We talk about, it's, it's mainly po- hobbies and pop culture is what it's sort of evolved into. We have a, a top five where we arbitrarily rank topics of our choosing. Each week we have a different one. We learn all sorts of things about each other and ourselves and people suggest things to us, which is handy. And we sort of talk about what we've done that week or in that fortnight we, we release every two weeks. We, what do we do? We talk about crafts, we talk about knitting and things we've uh, our tagline is sort of things we've things we've seen and done and or made and found on the internet. So we share like we have it. We have a section at the end for sharing entertaining things that we found that week. And for the, for those who are thinking, oh, I don't know if this podcast is for me. Yes, it is. It is. It is basically <laughs> Thank the, you. the audio equivalent of when you pour a really fresh glass of lemonade and you see the bubbles like popping off the top of the surface. Yeah, it's that. It's all that. It's delightful. That's an amazing description. <laughs> <laughs> And and specifically, oh, this is kind of getting really deep into it, but oftentimes because I have so many podcasts to listen to, I tend to listen to them on at double speed, especially if it's voices right. that I'm used to, like if I'm listening to War Rocket Ajax or Appointment Television or, or you guys. And what I find is that that makes everyone sound like exceptionally excitable Gilmore Girls. Yes. And so I incorporate that into my view of the podcast. Even something like You Must Remember This, which is a very kind of stately and well-recorded and well-paced kind of yes. speaking and she speaks like this throughout the entire thing. But when you speed it up, it's like she's telling you something really exciting over a cup of coffee in the morning. That sounds great. So it's like, oh yeah, and then I saw this and that, it was great. But then the, the downside is when you then put it back to 1x, like if you're doing something complicated, uh, it sounds like everyone's heavily medicated. Deathly slow. <laughs> um, incidentally, we have discovered that you cannot do that to a viewing of the Gilmore Girls because you don't understand a word anyone has said. Nope. Nope. <laughs> don't but- try and do that cost of doing business. I, th- I think Rosie used to do it just to get them through through them faster because she was at university and ended up with a backlog of recorded episodes. Mm-hmm. But every so often you just have to hit hit play properly because you don't know what's going on. Which is exactly how I view... I t- For a little while I turned off the WWE network because I was like, I'm not using this for a while. 
And so I decided to DVR all of the wrestling in a week. And it's like, that's two, three hour shows. And yeah. so I would just fast forward anything where anyone was talking and get to the matches. And so it would be like 30X, 30X, 30X. Oh, wait, they're doing something. Okay. Wait, something's happening. Yeah, and go. Oh, wait, it's a boring thing. Nope, forward. We, I realize we're, we're both the advertising industry's worst nightmare. Yes. Yeah, they're showing exactly how long every advert, um, advert break is on each channel mm-hmm. and then jumping forward. Except because I'm not in I don't have a DVR or anything that records and I'm never in to watch live television I stream everything Mm -hmm. so I've worked out exactly the method of uh, skipping through adverts for every single channel E4 is handy or for channel 4 is catch up because you just set it it starts playing its first ad break before you can view the show so you put the kettle on and then you come back just as soon as that's finished and you jump it past the first one just before the next one and wander off and like make your toast or whatever and then you come back and you've and it's gone through both of those so you once you skip through all of them then you can watch the advert and then watch the show uninterrupted so it's all about finding the like the way to just get rid of all of them that may have been one of the most english things i've ever heard (laughs) (laughs) involved tea and toast tea and toast and quiet simple solutions to things yes just wandering back and forth holding a mug (laughs) looking slightly bemused while doing so yes Correct. Straight in the ditch. Okay, coming back to the show. <laughs> so tell me a little bit about where you grew up. I grew up in North London. Not the suburbs, but not the not the city quite. It's sort of in between. So it was nice and easy to get into town at the weekends. It was a nice place to live. Yeah. And, and you grew up with your sister? I grew up with my sister and our mum and dad and various hamsters and goldfish. <laughs> we had pets that could be contained. Yeah, so the, the first the first episodes of uh, Raising Jessica's Day of Fun were recorded in our in our parents' house and then as we were variously moved out. They're now done over Skype. That was that really improved things when we could do things over the internet and not actually have to be in the same room as each other. For recording purposes, not because we can't stand each other. <laughs> And I was asking this of a previous guest, but since the two of you have moved out, have your parents changed the house significantly or is it this like frozen in amber thing? It's it's changed a fair amount. My room does not look like it did when I lived there. So it's now the, like the, the spare, the guest room. And it was just sort of time for like the kitchen to be redone and, and various things to be done. So things like the, the wall where the kitchen clock used to be isn't actually there. So every time I try and t- whenever I visit my parents, even though it's like my house, I always look in the wrong direction to find out what the time is when I'm in the kitchen. I think clocks specifically have, have a way of nailing that particular spot from wherever you are in a room. Yes. Because even I remember I, d- I moved into a place and I put a clock up for maybe three months and I realized the nail wasn't steady because it was constantly falling off, so I moved it somewhere else. And yes, for nine to ten months afterwards, I would always look at that spot. And I would go, right, what's the... Di- ah. Yeah, I have a, a clock in my kitchen, in my in my home, which briefly the battery ran out. And I couldn't remember, I just kept on forgetting to replace it. But my kitchen window, it's kind of in the middle of my flat, so it has a window into the dining room. So I can look through that window to see the clock in the dining room. So I just became, I just got into the habit of peering through the window into the dining room <laughs> to look at the clock. So now even though I've replaced the, the battery in the kitchen clock, Ages ago, I still automatically peer through the window, so just looking up, which is so much easier. The patterns we build. I've spoken about this before, but I do have a tendency when I'm involved in stuff, if, especially if I'm stressed in that week, I, I dissociate quite badly. And so I've learned like sort of as a coping mechanism to keep a clock on, on multiple shelves from multiple viewpoints around the room. Yes. So I will have like three clocks in any one room. I'll have one, like I've got a little case clock on a shelf. I've got a little like sort of flip over clock that sits on another shelf and I've got the digital clock in the microwave that I can see from here. So just in any case, if I go, wait, how long was that? I can look and be like, okay, no, I still have time. Yep, also good. great in the morning. But the problem then becomes that today is daylight savings. And so you have to go yes. and change all of your clocks. That was that was exciting for me, trying to work out what time I could get in from work and what time it would be in Australia because I was looking at the on the spreadsheet at the Australia to American time um, because I had not realized that there was another bit of the spreadsheet. But um, so I was like, right, okay, so then if it's that time in Australia and it's that time in the US, what time is it in Britain? Okay, so I'll just check that because there'll be like a, like a currency converted but for time and I'll make sure that I've got that right. And I was like, that is not well, the time I had worked it out to be. When do the clocks go back? Nope, that hasn't happened yet. Wait, did the clocks go forward in Australia? There was a lot of Googling. <laughs> when is this going to happen? Okay, right, this has happened. So, so we have an extra hour to deal with. You, you've already done more work than my father ever did in attempting to call me in my first couple of years here. 
because <laughs> we had a landline and it had one of those answering machines that would play the message out loud. Yep. And so he would call and it would be four o'clock in the morning and he would leave this long and rambling message that would start with, hey, hey, it's me. Are you there? Oh, oh I guess you're not there. Unless you are there. Because then if you're listening, hello, can you? <laughs> oh, okay. I guess you're not actually there. So I was going to call you about, and then he would just tell this whole story and I'm in my bed staring at the ceiling because it's woken me up doing just stop. Yeah. Stop talking. I, I'm not going to answer, but I can hear all of this. And then Please the, no. And then the next day I call him and I'm like, hey, look at your computer. You know you can add an extra time zone down at the bottom. Oh, that's too much work. <laughs> you know, I'll just I'll just work it out. I'm sure it'll be fine. It's not fine, Dad. It's really not fine. <laughs> I have a an issue with clocks in that I tend to set a couple of them slightly fast to make sure that I'm not late. But then what I do is as I leave the house, I have then have like three separate clocks, as you're saying about having three three different time three different clocks around the room. I have the one that is slightly fast and then my phone is also slightly fast, but a different slightly fast. So then I have to check that up check what what is the actual time? How long did I actually have right okay so i can still do this so that's that's my issue with having multiple clocks in one room and it, it seems to work yeah i've got the alarm clock in my bedroom which tends to lose time so it'll be slightly earlier than everything else and i've got a clock in the bathroom which gains time and is slightly faster than everything else but i never remember in the moment which of them is the fast one or the slow <laughs> which one which so i'll look and i'll go okay either i'm dead or i'm okay and so I would just like dash out to look at my phone and go, oh, it's actually neither of those. I'm right on time. My phone seems to gain time, which I have just allowed it to do because I, I reckon that that way I will always get the train that I'm aiming for. And I think the one in the living room, I, I just misset and figured I'd leave it for the same reason. <laughs> it's, an <individual. laughs> it's, only, it's only like three minutes, but those three minutes can make a difference. <laughs> so apart from your specific interest in clocks, what sort of child were you? <laughs> that is a good question. I, I think I was a fairly quiet child. I like reading and sort of doing my own thing. But I kind of also, I, I did enjoy being outdoors, but in quite a controlled way, I suppose. Not so much for the team sports, like nothing, no problem with them, just didn't, didn't tend to get involved with them. But I was a brownie and I went to ballet and just, you know, loved a craft project. I think that was, that was what it came down to. Can I get a craft project out of this? And I'm happy. <laughs> What were your merit? I was going to say, did brownies have merit badges? No, I suppose they'd be like beavers, so not really. We had, we call them interest badges. Oh, I see. So what did what did I have? I had an entertainer. Um, <laughs> I had my hostess badge, which involved having to know how to make a cup of tea and send an invitation. Well, they have still have a. I, I'm now a brownie leader. They still have a similar iteration of that, but it's more like a party planner. Okay. Yeah, I had, I think I had my artist badge. I had my toy maker badge. That was cool. can't remember exactly what I had to do for it. Make toys, yeah. one assumes. Make, to- make toys. I think we had to go to the toy shop and review and review toys. And also, <laughs> like, can make, make a toy, like, make a rag doll or, like, some sort of simple toy. Because, like, you're eight, so it can't be that complicated. I like the idea of a child being a toy reviewer as an yes. interest badge. Sitting there with a notepad and going... Hmm, I do like the box design, but I feel the playability yep. is lacking. Six, six out of ten. My friend Hannah and I went to the toy shop with notebooks. <laughs> Excellent. Oh, wait, maybe that was guides. That must have been guides, so we must have been a little older. Yeah. I guess we were like 11 then. But yeah, we, we went to the toy shop with notebooks. We were cool. <laughs> I have specific memories of, because I, I was in, in, in the Canadian Scouts, there's beavers, which is how you start, where you had a hat with a little rat's tail on it, which was actually a beaver tail. Nice. And depending on what color it was, it would say how long you had been there, whether your first year or second year. And then you got to Cubs, and Cubs was sort of a gray, kind of like skivvy type shirt, and you would have the badges sewn on the sleeve. And I remember the last year that I was in it, they changed it to a very complicated uniform looking thing with a sash. And I was like, I don't, I, I don't really like that. I kind of like my raggedy old gray shirt with my merit badges. And the thing was, I remember I was even then desperate for approval. So I was looking for more badges to get. And I would try and talk to the leaders to find out loopholes. And I'm like, wait, wait, if I, so if I do this <laughs> and this, does that count as two things? Because if it's two things, then I'm already halfway there. So really, I just need, I need to find like one more thing and then a fourth and that's it. I've got it. So I could have it by like next week. And they're like, you know, yeah. by, by explaining this to me, you're kind of killing your own plan. I'm like, no, no it'll, it'll work. It'll work. <laughs> like as it, it, I remember there was one that was like, uh, it was like a Wayfarer badge or something. And it was different from the orienteering badge because they're two different things. And it was basically involved knowing your town. Yeah. And I would basically say, well, I know how I walked to get here. 
and I can name the streets and say how long it took me, that, that's, like, that's like knowing we're out, right? I can do this. Yeah, that counts. <laughs> no, it didn't count. <laughs> it, it's interesting because I think that in all the guests I've had on the podcast, I've yet to find someone who said, I was, you know, a loud and boisterous kid. I was always running to and fro. I was school captain, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. So I, I stand by that. Uh, well, if that, if that was you, listener, that, that's cool. But I think the interesting people I gravitate towards tend to be the quieter sorts. And I'm okay with that. Yeah, the meek shall inherit. Or the oh, geeks, right. The, the, geeks, <laughs> the geeks shall inherit, I guess, is more apt. But, you know. I was going to say, yeah. I, th- I thought for a moment you had said, meek shall inherit. And I'm like, is 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 that a thing? Is that a... <laughs> yes, it is now. Is that like a, a Morecambe and Wise kind of comedy duo? Yeah. Is that, yes. I don't, that yes. I've never heard of. <laughs> Initially, when we arranged this show, you wanted to talk about novels yes. as a shock. Like, we've never spoken about books on yes. the show before. Good Lord, books. But, what, a, what a departure. <laughs> but specifically, you wanted to talk about tween novels involving groups of children united by a single hobby. Yep. And this was specific enough, it couldn't help but pique my interest. So... <laughs> Run me through the increasingly narrow subgenre you've just listed there. Okay. So I was casting around thinking, what should my topic be? And then I looked at the bookshelf behind me, which is actually just the back of the sofa. And that's where I keep all of my sort of kids' books that I've always carried with me throughout my life. And the three main ones are The Saddle Club, uh, a set of books called Scrambled Legs, which I think have been retitled Bad Ballet or something along those lines. And the third is Anastasia Krupnik, which she doesn't have so much a, a specific hobby, but she kind of falls into the same the same set for me. And I have to say, at this point, I have never read a Babysitter's Club book. Ah, okay. Yeah, I live the cliche in that I did not actually own Babysitter's Club books because my mother would not buy them because they were, <laughs> quote, for girls. Right. But I would go to my babysitter's house and she had all of them. So and you, so you read I would... the Babysitter's Babysitter's Club? Exactly. Perfect. <laughs> it sounds like a joke, but it's not. <laughs> and The Settle Club, uh, we do, I talked about this with Christina Grace on a previous episode, hugely formative for a lot of people, more so than I expected. Yes. And so what was your experience with The Settle Club? I had, well, I'd been riding. I don't remember where I got the first one from or how I, how I discovered them, but I, I was about the age of the characters in it. And I had been horse riding a few times, like never a lot, but you know. You know, I knew my way around stables. I guess maybe we had some at school, but the my local library had a huge collection of them. So I actually only own about three or four of them. But I think I've read most of them because I would borrow them from the local library. Like I just remember the summer holidays being just being filled with Saddle Club. And I guess they don't take that long to read. No, I was going to say, if you're getting them from the library, if you're not visiting every day, you could probably take three or four. Yep, I think I used, used to take a stack of them and I was happy to read them again so I would I would repeat and the other one that I can't go past because it's an amazing pun yep scrambled legs yep so scrambled legs I definitely found at school first and I had several friends who also read them it is about five friends whose parents sign them up to a, a ballet class and they're going to they're leading up to a production of the Nutcracker and what I particularly like about this I was thinking about it on the train they're not actually very good at ballet like crucially they're just they're not good at the topic, at the hobby that the, the book centers around. They try enough to carry on with it. And like, they, they're fine. They're not terrible. But they keep going because this is where they meet each other. And it's the only place that they, they all go to different schools. So they realize if they stay doing ballet, they can stay friends. And there are 10 of these books. And like, they go to summer camp together, which we don't have in England. So that's exciting. They have lots of different projects that they do. It's, yeah, super cool. I've, ju- I've just Googled scrambled leg books. Yep. And some of these covers are amazing. Yep. Because you can definitely see, like, there are some that are very cartoony, and there are some that are, like, photorealistic. Yes, I favor the photorealistic ones. That's, that's, that's what mine look like. And I've got, I've got to stand by the very first image that came up. It says, Scrambled Legs, a dog named Toshu. Yes, yes, they, they <laughs> find a dog. And they can't, the, and I'm going, to, uh, I'm going to spoil the origin of his name. I think they, he doesn't get that until quite practically the end of the book. But they can't decide what to call him, so they all give him a different name. And the initials of all of the names that he has spells out Toshu, as in point shoes. Because <laughs> that's what they always call point shoes, they call them toe shoes. I've never, referred to, I've never heard point shoes referred to that anywhere else, referred to as that anywhere else. They work him into their Christmas fancy dress parade costume sledge thing there's a sledge they have to decorate and they have to dress up and they have to be in this and they work the dog into it as some sort of reindeer pulling the sledge <laughs> of course it's, it's a whole big thing <laughs> it's like floppy stray dog 
There are some that are clearly modeled after the, the Babysitter's Club mold in that they're, they're apple paperbacks. And so they have that color-blocked top half and then a bar and then the picture yep. below, usually with a caption like, there have never been ballerinas like this before. <laughs> I bet they have. <laughs> and I'm, I'm almost positive they have been. Yeah, they're, they're great fun. So there was a, a third author, the third series that you mentioned I wasn't familiar with. Yeah, so this Anastasia Kropnik is the name of the, the title character by Lois Lowry, who I, I think she's actually written a fair amount, but I have never read any of her other books. And I think some of her other books were for slightly older readers, maybe. The first one, this is notable in that she actually ages throughout the, se- throughout the series. I think there are about 10 books for her as well. And it starts off when she's 10 and she's 13 by the end of it. And you know, she gets a baby brother and they move to the suburbs and notably all of the books that I read that fall into this category they're all American they don't seem to be any English ones and she doesn't have a specific hobby but she has like a different sort of focus each book so in one she is deciding whether she wants to be a journalist so each chapter finishes with like an article that she's written okay the first the first book finishes with lists she's made of things in each chapter and stuff like that I'm looking at some of these covers and I do see a lot of pencils being held in teeth Yes. And books in prominent places. Yep. So I can see Anastasia at this address. Anastasia has the answers. And one which I, I, I think this might be a parody, but maybe please please correct me. Anastasia, ask your analyst. Yes. So she decides that maybe... <laughs> please tell me how this is not a parody. <laughs> maybe she needs Maybe she needs therapy. I don't remember exactly what sparks this in her, but she decides that maybe she, she could do with some therapy to help her like adjust to to having moved and being to new school and things. So she and one of her friends go to a garage sale and she finds a plaster bust of Sigmund Freud and buys him Uh-oh. and takes him home. Oh my God. And at one point she decides that he looks very serious and a bit grumpy. So she, she draws a smile on him with, I think, green felt tip. <laughs> and uh, she sort of, she talks to him and says, hey, Sigmund, like, this is the problem that I had today at school. <laughs> are, are you there, Sigmund Freud? It's me, <laughs> it's Anastasia Krupnik. Yeah, exactly. I can't remember what else she's doing in that book. There's one where she has to take care of some gerbils, and that ends terribly. They end up, not because she kills the gerbils, they end up with more gerbils than they originally started with. And See, that's, get, that's, the happier, that's, the happier. that's the happier result, because we had a hamster, and that hamster had babies, and we touched the babies too soon, and the hamster oh, ate no. all the babies and died. Oh, so, horrible. Uh, yeah. <laughs> having too many gerbils, better than having yes, no gerbils at than all. than having even fewer gerbils than you started with. I'm also noticing that the cover art on these Anastasia Krupnik books, it's mostly the same girl and seems to have been aged up at least. And there'll be cycles of same. So I'm thinking this might be one yes. of those Gone Girl style situations where it was yeah. based on a particular person who was then used. I think all of, again, as, as with the Scrambled Legs, all of mine have matching covers. Actually, Scrambled Legs... Crucially, one of them has a different cover. And it's the one in the middle. So I can't even put it on the end and pretend it doesn't match. So it's the one that sits in the middle. And even the spine looks different. And that's bothered me for about 20 years. But that's that's fine. We'll work through it one day. Yeah, and I I have a a matching set of Anastasias. Always with massive specs on. (laughs) That seems to be a constant. Yes, it's kind of her thing. She has these giant owl-like glasses. The format thing annoys me too. Um, Specifically, if you get into a book like late... And so you buy these like mass market paperback sized ones for yeah. the first couple and then you're into it and you've caught up and then the new one comes out and you're like, oh, I, w- I really want to read it, but it's this huge hardback now. Yes. And so you buy it and now it's like these two tiny things in one giant book. It doesn't match. And it's, oh, it's so bad. It's really stressful. See, that's why I, I stick with uh, when, I, when I buy comic books. If I buy digitally, I stay digitally because yeah. having like volume five sitting on my shelf just seems weird and i had that happen with the, with lock and key where i had originally borrowed the first four from a, sorry the first two from a friend and really liked them and so bought the third one and then months later they all went on comiXology for like nine dollars a volume and so i'm like okay i'm gonna buy all of them except for the one i have which is number three and so when my girlfriend went to read them i'm like oh here you can just use the ipad and she's <laughs> like well, where's volume three i'm like give me a minute and i go and yep. i pull it off the top shelf she's like what is this the stone age I'm like, I'm, i know i'm sorry <laughs> I have a set of a set of books by Jasper Ford. He writes the, the Thursday Next series, yes, yes. and one of them was released with a cover that did not match any of the others for reasons no one is aware of. But if you went on his website, there was a they had a printout. Somebody had mocked up a correct looking cover, and he could print it out, and it would be the right size to then wrap <laughs> around the book so that when they were on the shelf, it looked like it matched. 
That sort of pedantry just makes my heart sing so much. It was so brilliant. Someone at the publishing house had obviously just made a huge error and not considered it in any way. It was like, right, don't worry, guys, I'm on this. And everyone else at the publishing house are people like us. And they go, no, no, this is terrible. You you don't realize what you've done. This is horrible. (laughs) (laughs) Thinking back to your childhood series, like as you were talking about Anastasia Krupnik, I went rocketing back because I've just been watching through the third season of Brooklyn Nine-Nine, which has just come onto Australian Netflix. And out of nowhere, Jake Peralta drops a reference to Super Fudge and how he'd never returned it. And so he was banned from libraries. (laughs) I'd never read Super Fudge, but I did watch some of the TV show. And see, I realized that I had completely combined the Tales from Fourth Grade Nothing Super Fudge series with the Beezus and Ramona series by Beverly Cleary. Oh, right. And in in my head, it was this huge, like, Happy Day style thing where there were multiple spinoffs into different series. But clearly it was not that complicated. It, I didn't even know it was a TV series. When was it a TV series? This would have been about 1998, I would guess. Okay. That's, that, that is very much a guess. All I remember is there was, like, Fudge was really annoying. I think I was slightly too old for it by the time I was watching the TV series, so I was mostly just annoyed by him. And there was one with a turtle that possibly got eaten or possibly didn't. I think I gave up halfway through the episode. <laughs> Something there was definitely something with trying to put, get the, get all the presidents in the right order for a class project. That's because, my memory of, of fudge. Because the American school system. Yes. As someone who just had a Jeopardy party last night, <laughs> and w- one of my guests was American, and we just turned to him on all the American categories, <laughs> we all the American history stuff, and it's like, here is a painting, and he's like, oh, that's Washington crossing the Delaware, and we go, what? <laughs> sure. Yeah, and like it was. Kind of ter- also, he's a sports writer, so he was he's a very good get for pub trivia. Brilliant. Yeah, I, I always feel like pub quizzes, I, I'm always on a team that is lacking in a, in a sports knowledge person, unless I'm there with like family, in which case then my dad can do that. But if it's, if it's me and my friends, then sports, always weak. I, I think depending on, on the audience of the pub, like, I think they know that there will always be a certain topic that is just going to like, be the hurdle for everyone and yep. they're they're looking to reward the one guy who tagged along and went yes this is my category yes that was tottenham hotspur 1976 <laughs> i was just about to say fa cup winners from 1976 <laughs> to 1982 <laughs> i am there <laughs> my parents so the local pub for where i grew up and, and where my parents still live has the world's most complicated pub quiz I, I can't exactly remember how the rounds work. It used to be a more traditional version. It was never like, now is the sports round, now is the history round, now is the like the music round. It was always kind of mixed in and a bit more interesting. And they sort of they had one where you had to get like the first four answers, and then that would that meant that you could get the, what the link was for the five. And there was another way you had to sort of oh. do you know list of ten items. But they changed it, and now it is a format that nobody understands with <laughs> questions that are so obscure. Everyone just sort of sits with their head in their hands. Go, I don't I don't know how we're going to score any points guys this, this is way more existential than i was thinking i thought we could just come and like have a pint and like maybe answer some questions on who was the fa cup winner between 1976 and 1983 life is meaningless all our ashes really stressful i think there always comes a moment in every pub trivia night when you realize that there's no way you're going to win yes and yet you don't want to be the bad sport who bails halfway through the third round yeah, you have, once you've committed, you have to keep going. I love a quiz, so I will never bail on one. I will just keep answering questions. Even if I don't know the answer, like I'll try, I'll you know, make educated guesses. No, never never bail on a quiz. But yeah, you have to, you have to see it through. <laughs> you have to just try. I also have a particular chip on my shoulder for uh, quizzes where the third round questions are worth so much that it makes the other rounds almost meaningless. Yes, like catching the golden snitch if yeah, exactly. the game hasn't gone on for long enough. I had that where I went to, um, there was a, a Batman event that I was invited to because I have some friends who get invited to such things because they write about that kind of stuff. And so we went to, for Batman trivia, a bunch of us nerds, and we were team Batman can breathe in space because Batman can breathe in space. Yes. And we were doing moderately well. I think we were like third or fourth leading into it. And then the last round were five questions so obscure that literally no one got them. One guy got one of them. It was something to the effect of what month was the first issue released. And like, not, not the oh year, God. but the month. And like, it was, it was that level of minutia. And the whole thing just turned sour. And no, yeah. one did, no one wanted to do it. And in getting that one question, he took his one person team from something like eighth place to first. That's, and I'm like, you have yeah. not thought through your rules. No. And he got, he got up to accept the giant prize, which was, of course, all Batman stuff. Yep. And he was so drunk he couldn't give a speech. Oh, God. <laughs> and we're like, this is a fiasco. Did you guess your win? Did you guess it? 
<laughs> you haven't earned this. It doesn't mean as much to you. <laughs> Although uh, my friend Annie, who came along, but then did not actually engage in any of the questions. She just went, eh, I'm bored. I'm just going to kind of play on my phone. And there was a, a selfie contest where you could pose with a standee of Lego Batman. Yeah. And if you hashtagged it, oh, they're like, oh, we'll pick the best one. So a bunch of people did it. And she did it, and she used an app to just fill the entire frame with cats, except for her and Batman's <laughs> face, and captioned it, you can't take me anywhere. And of course she won. Yep. So she left Perfect. with like 19 DVDs of Batman animated films. <laughs> That's amazing. I should get this app. It sounds really useful. <laughs> it does, yeah. It basically just puts those um, uh, Neko Atsumi cats over everything. <laughs> Perfect. I can think of numerous applications for this. In real life, not just phone apps. What's your usual team name, or is it topical? Yeah, usually topical. That's always the, like, the most panicked question. What's your team name? Oh, God. As six people look at each other and go, I, I don't know, you decide. Well, you decide. Um, 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 Dumbledore's Army. Yep, go for it. Go for it. It's fine. It, yeah. it either, you either go something obvious, at which point you know there's probably going to be a duplicate, yep. or you go something incredibly obscure, or you do something that you know is going to be hell to pronounce every single time. Yes. Oh, yeah. Or you, you, yeah, you tease the quiz master with something that you know he's not going to be able to read up. <laughs> <laughs> and then you get get the self-defeating ones like, I hope we're not last or something. And it's yes. like, coming in last place, I hope we're not last. Sorry Always about depressing. That. <laughs> Always depressing. I like a quiz where you turn up and go, table five. Excellent. That's, that's, <laughs> that's easy. That takes the pressure off. Then I can just yeah. look forward to a- answering real questions. <laughs> One of my colleagues writes a Christmas quiz at, at work every year. The first few times it was on a, it, it was a, like a worksheet that you got to take home like it was you know mm-hmm. sort of four or five pages and it was there was no prize because there was no way to police whether or not people would cheat the last couple of years we've done it pub quiz style so we all march off on a sunday after the show and, and, and do this amazing quiz and there are music rounds and there are film rounds and there are sort of things he manages to theme everything to be about christmas or about work or about or sort of really like tangential things that he manages to pull in together there's always a table round which is where the points to be had and my team won it two years ago largely because it turns out my friend Nicola knows everyone who has ever performed in the band-aid do they know it's Christmas all three iterations and we just handed her a pen and just left her to it I managed to get enough points on the rest of it like we were doing fine we weren't doing terribly like we weren't first and as as like as we sort of we were going through the the marking like okay well it's fine like we're not gonna win we don't think this like never mind and then they read out the answers for the uh for for band-aid she she'd just done amazingly we just got all of them <laughs> that was her Woodstock. Like, yeah, she's like, I don't know any of the answers to this quiz. I'm like, yeah, but just you have the pen, you write those. But me and another teammate were, were doing okay at the at the table round, which is a picture round of sort of puns of various West End shows. And I think a number of our other teammates then decided that they they weren't going to be much use to this, so they just they they were doing the bar runs. So they were they were <laughs> keeping the table stocked, and it was like it really was a team effort. Everyone had their job. It worked well. We won. Our prize was chocolate. Everyone was happy. <laughs> Excellent. So what's your category then? What do you go for? Just general trivia of all varieties. Like I'm not so good at sport necessarily, but I can just, I, you know, if it's something specific or interesting, basically if it would turn up in an episode of QI, that's the sort of level that I go for. <laughs> a lot of random facts. Things that I can never, people are always like, give us a random fact and I don't have any. But if you ask me this question on something, I might be able to dig up an answer for you. That's that's how my quizzing works. I've accidentally become the person who, who um, so what, so so what is this thing? I don't know. Ask Jess. And I, you know, sometimes <laughs> I feel like I could say anything, like, uh, but I'll kind of go, okay, well, um, I guess like educated guests can't like kind of work through it. And if you say something in an authoritative enough voice, people will say, yeah, that's probably right. Especially if you add the words stands to reason. Yes. Yes. Yeah, you know, stands to reason. as long as they ask me like trivial things, sold. <laughs> Not which wire do I cut? Which yes, which wire do I cut? Um, okay, well, I was watching. I won't tell them this, but I was watching this sitcom yesterday, and so what happened in Brooklyn Nine Nine? <laughs> I would go for the, the <laughs> Troy and Arbed. I hope I don't cut the wrong wire. There's only one. That would be my kind of. <laughs> that's my idea of that situation. So I, I think we should not cut any wires, and we should put it in a bucket of water, and then we should put the bucket of water in the middle of the room, and then we should walk very very briskly away from the room, and we should call the police. That would be my way of getting out of that situation. <laughs> I think the the best kind of trivia specialities to have is something that is fairly niche, but also extremely deep in its knowledge. 
because then someone who is not making a quiz around that entire thing, but just uses that as one category, yes, you only have to deal with what they think will be a difficult question. That's true. Not what is actually a difficult question. Yeah. And where I've learned in my adult life that I excel in that stuff is Bible questions, because I was a son of a minister. Yep. Uh, my mom is still a minister. And I'm not religious in the slightest, but when you don't realize that when you're bored in Sunday school or are listening to sermons and stuff, you internalize a lot of that stuff. Yeah, this is still useful information that's going in somewhere. Yeah, and they're like, oh, which prophet went up in a chariot of fire? I'm like, oh, that was Elijah, and his buddy Elisha was watching. And (laughs) people just look at me, and I go, what? People know these things. (laughs) What are the three names of the guys in the lion's den? I'm like, I know, the Beastie Boys have a song about it. (laughs) Yes, that's how I find things. Like, right, so this pop culture thing references that, and then this happened. Like, I can't remember sort of useful things like to-do things or, like, remembering, like, that, oh, I, I should I should go and do this on my way to this place, or, oh, I must remember mm-hmm. to tell so-and-so this. But if you want, like, a random, like, a line from a TV show that I watched four years ago, or some fact that I learned on QI, or just some odd thing that somebody said in passing at school once, I can probably tell you that. <laughs> or, you know, the, the phone number from my second grade house. Yes. Because it, it reversed two of the numbers in, in 472-2748. And I'm like, what's your phone number now? I don't know. <laughs> um, I know the phone number to Live and Kicking, which was a kids' TV series on Saturday mornings uh, when I was growing up. Oh, so was it the hotline? or? I uh, know it was just their general call-in number. And it was 0181811 I don't know what happens if you dial that now. I we will find, find out. out in a minute. <laughs> I suspect nothing. <laughs> Unrelatedly to children's television, DJ Khaled had a poster that had an Australian phone number for his tour. And if you called it, it would just be a recording of him yelling at you about his new album. And I'm like, this, this is wonderful. I'm, gonna, <laughs> I'm just going to go and write this number places and watch people call it. And just <laughs> See what happens. About the keys to success and doing success right. <laughs> Everyone needs to know that. Yeah, totally. And how Ciroc Apple something something bless up. Yes. And flowers. <laughs> so were, were you a Blue Peter child? Yes, I was a Blue Peter child. I wanted to be a Blue Peter presenter when I grew up. I no longer want to be a Blue Peter presenter. Partly because <laughs> the age of digital television has, uh, means that it is no longer on a main channel. And I feel like the, the program's probably changed a lot since I watched it. And also, I don't want to be a TV presenter, so that solves that problem. Yeah, I feel, I feel like the, o- the only way that you can be a TV presenter is either go off the deep end or be so incredibly normcore that you just survive everything. Yes, you either need to be really bland or just completely the other end of, good lord, that's, that's, yep, wow, and nothing in the middle. There was Steve from Blue's Clues, who was secretly a fairly good musician under his own name, and one of the Wiggles owns a cafe two, two suburbs from where I live. And so when he's not being a wiggle, he's just running a cafe with his wife. Perfect. (laughs) So it's very chill. So you were talking about your Blue Peter badge. Yes, I have a Blue Peter badge. I am now too old for it to get me into any attractions for free, but it it looks cool. I'm now old enough that I can wear it and it's like a cool retro thing on my blazer. So that's handy. But I never got a green Blue Peter badge, which makes me really sad. Which you got for doing... So a a regular Blue Peter badge you would get if you wrote in, like, for any reason. You just had to send them anything. You didn't really know this when you were a child, but you could just write to them and say, Dear presenters, I really like Blue Peter, and I have drawn you this picture, or I have written you this poem, or I went to this place on my summer holidays, and I thought you might be interested to know about it. And you get a lovely letter back saying, that's so nice, thank you so much for writing to us, we really enjoyed your whatever you sent them, and then they would send you a Blue Peter badge. Um, But a green Blue Peter badge you got for doing something environmentally friendly, or like ecologically sound. So if you wrote to them and said, hey, we did a project at school where we learned about acid rain, because this was the 90s, or pollution. <laughs> or I raise money to help plant trees or I, I helped recycling in my local area then you get a green blue peter badge and that is the one that I always coveted and I never got around <laughs> to getting one even though I did the things that you would need to do to get a green blue I was about to say and meanwhile the environment has declined since then and really Jessica it's your fault and meanwhile and now we have global warming and I'm really sorry guys I dropped the ball I don't know what to tell you <laughs> there's a picture of me aged about six at a friends of the year demonstration is the wrong word like that oversells it but with my with my mum and I'm holding a banner that says don't buy Pete because again it was the 90s <laughs> 
and like the the highlands were being destroyed with people buying peat. Yeah, that was my that was my early contribution. Going back to kids TV when I was a teen, I think I was a student and I was home for home for the summer holidays where I just graduated or something, and we'd all had dinner, and I was sitting at the kitchen table with my laptop, and my dad walked back into the kitchen, and I was watching YouTube on YouTube uh, sort of theme tunes to uh, kids TV shows, and I had found Captain Planet, and I'd also oh, found yes. which like. Is great and everyone's familiar with. And I also found the Smoggies, which is more obscure, I think. <gasps> yes, the Yay! Smoggies. That's the correct reaction. I never get that about the Sun Tots oh. and like, and you don't want to be a Smoggy. The Smoggies are the bad guys. And you want to be a Sun Tot, and they're like little. I mean, they kind of suffered from the Smurfette principle. I think there was only one girl, but but the main baddie was a was a woman in a red dress. So like, I guess it occasionally passed the Bechdel Wallace test. But so they and everything in the nineties was about pollution and destroying the ozone layer. I don't I don't think acid rains are really a thing anymore. But yes, yeah, so I was watching these and my dad sort of looked at me and I'm like, I'm now a vegan and I'm like, you know, so like in, enthusiastic about, you know, recycling and saving the planet. It's like, wow, this explains a lot about how you turned out the way you did. <laughs> so I'm like sitting there watching this, watching the sun tots dance around. I specifically remember there was one episode, the one, the one smog, smoggies episode that I can remember is they brainwashed one of the sun tots and had him secretly undermining all of the environmental actions oh no including like oh i'm gonna make you all lemonade and it's like oh that's great except for i'm giving it to you in plastic cups and now the <laughs> cups are everywhere and he's like it's okay i'll get rid of them and so he piles them all into a pile and burns them with a flamethrower <laughs> which just raises further questions really where, where did this sun talk get the flamethrower from i'm not sure uh, but it makes lots of black smoke, and it's meant to be yes. about uh, reusable things. <laughs> I remember just watching it and going, okay, so first off, flamethrower, what? <laughs> Secondly, the Smoggies have mind control technology? Yeah, that, I did not realize that they were that advanced. I'm guessing that was what they had that episode. Otherwise, I feel it would have featured more often. And they would have gotten away <laughs> with it, too, if it weren't for you meddling kids. Yes. <laughs> I, I, the main episode I remember of that is for some reason they had to get onto the Smoggy's ship without them seeing them and the Smoggies had the Smoggies in the meanwhile had, in the meantime had got off the ship to go to Suntot Bay or whatever it was called and like pollute stuff because that's what you do because that's what you do because they lived for pumping sludge into the ocean so that the Suntots would think that they were still on the boat they set up some car- little card cutouts on the record player like in Home Alone like, yes like in Home Alone <laughs> or I was going to say the gay divorce was to, with Fred Astaire and Ginger Rogers but um, well, that's, so, that's so, probably a better reference I'll, I'll <laughs> let you have that one the, so that the the shadow of the little cartoons made it look like they were dancing and the, and the Santa was like it's fine they're still in there we can we can thwart their their polluting plans and that's that's mostly what I took from that I always like that these anti-environmental villains their plan was never let's make lots of money no. Their plan was specifically let's pollute some stuff let's, because pollution is fun yeah let's just make a mess to no end and as, as an exceptionally fastidious child when it came to like cleanliness or mucky things yeah yeah that that made them villains in my eyes <laughs> yep because brown water is more fun than than blue water just pumping just i don't know what it, it was never specified what it was it was just always generic pollution just pumping it into the ocean and then they had that massive funnel chimney that just <laughs> that was belching smoke out the belching entire smoke. time yeah so there you go. Their energy bill must have been <laughs> huge. Well, you'd imagine they'd be running their own generators on the ship or something, but it's yeah. just like, just just get a better ship, yeah. guys. That's get good. one that's not constantly leaking crude oil. <laughs> Can I talk to you about solar panels? I think they could revolutionize your life. <laughs> I have these brochures. Yes. <laughs> Was it, uh, con- constable, yeah, constable, <laughs> visit the infidel with the explanatory pamphlets. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Would you come, care to come inside my tent and talk about renewable energy? I'd really rather not. I've got other things to do. Well, I can come Gold. back later. No, no, I'd, I'd really prefer you didn't. <laughs> As a final note, I am dragooning you into the service of the committee to get Margaret H. Willison to read Discworld. How has Margaret H. Willison not read Discworld? Actually, I think I knew this. When, when I ask her, her answer is usually there are so many things to read, but that's no excuse. <laughs> Yes, and a lot of them are Discord, so you may as well start now. Exactly. Catherine Van Aerodunk's The Treasurer, so we'll be happy to bring you on in whatever. Perfect. <laughs> be... I, oh, I could do the refreshments. Do you need a refreshments committee? Absolutely. Excellent. <laughs> I will not serve the lemonade in plastic cups.
Excellent. All right. Well, Jessica, if people wanted to find your stuff on the internet, where would they do so? For the podcast, we are, our website is rosieandjessica.co.uk or we are at the day of fun show on Twitter. Personally, I am at Oso Jessica and that's O-H-S-E-W Jessica. And that's me. And all of my thoughts and opinions are the views of the BBC. And you sell merch. We do. Uh, the only reason I remember is because it has Oh My Greyhounds in the <laughs> URL. The badges arrived this week. We sell those. Rosie sells those. She is the person to contact about those, but we, we can't sell those in our spreadsheet. We have a spreadsheet shop, but they don't do badges. So we sort of, we are setting up the, the badge shop separately. Yeah, that works slightly differently. Rosie is the person to ask about that. <laughs> does, does Rosie actually have greyhounds? No, that is a joke from um, another kids TV Saturday morning show called SMTV Live, which was on ITV and was presented by Anton Deck. I don't know if you've uh, if they've made it out of uh, out of the UK, but they are a very well known duo who do sort of you know, who present the X Factor and things like that. But they used to do kids TV. I was about to say a- Anton Deck sounds like Ant- a Star Wars character. Yep, and 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 Deck, and they always stand the same way around, so it's always Ant and Deck. Ah part of this program they did it was one of these like saturday morning magazine shows and they did like a little friend spoof called chums and because it was kiss tv on saturday morning they never said oh my god in relation to in in response to anything they always kind of got to the got to the g and it turned into greyhounds so it was always oh my greyhounds um, and you knew it was coming and it was just ridiculous. But we sort of started doing it for no apparent reason. And now now it's a thing. <laughs> now it's... And that is how all humor on the internet evolves. <laughs> it's, it's got legs and it's really, yep. And now we have badges. Excellent. So if you contact on uh, contact us on Twitter, if you would like a badge and we will, we will set you up. And we also have a Patreon. We are, we are raising Jessica on Patreon. So you can, you can get badges through that medium as well if you sponsor us enough just saying as well they should so thank you so much Jessica this has been fantastic well thank you so much for having me Thanks very much to Jessica Fletcher for her time. Jessica specifically requested a gin beverage for her signature drink, and really you don't have to twist my arm to get me to open that bottle. So here's my variation on a Salvatore Calabrese breakfast martini. The Sun Tot. Fill a shaker with ice and add two ounces of botanical gin. Add one half ounce of triple sec or Cointreau if you have it handy. Add half an ounce of freshly squeezed lemon juice and make sure to get a nice long strip of lemon peel before you throw away the rind. Strain into a pre-chilled champagne saucer. Take your long strip of lemon peel and hold it briefly over a candle flame to release the oils. Don't let it turn black though, that's been too long. Twist it sharply over the glass and drop in. Earth and wind and sea and gin and lemon and not a pickled egg to be seen for miles. Enjoy! The Math of You is recorded in Leichhardt, New South Wales, Australia, and is written, hosted, and edited by yours truly, Lucas Brown. New episodes go up every Wednesday evening, and if you'd like to be a guest on the show, simply send an email to themathofyou at gmail.com and tell me what you'd like to talk about. You can follow the show on Twitter at themathofyou, and you can follow my wacky adventures at Lokified, L-O-K-I-F-I-E-D, on Twitter and Instagram. And you can follow my Snapchat at Lokified82. Fair warning, it's mostly pictures of my dog, my cat, and things I'm about to eat. 
If you have a few dollars kicking around and would like to directly support the show, you can go to patreon.com slash lokified and pledge as little as a dollar a month. There are some great rewards like physical mail and early access to episodes, and I would really, really appreciate it. I'm still on my quest for more iTunes reviews, so please go to the country of your choice and leave a rating and a review. It helps with discoverability, and I'll read it out on the show and give you a shout-out. Next week, I'll be talking to writer, podcaster, and producer Joel Turner, a very good friend of mine, about the loving warmth and the secret horror of Roald Dahl. Join me, won't you? So, gosh, it's the 11 at night over there. Yes, it is 11.24. All right, well, you're coming to you from 10 hours in the future. (laughs) It's like magic. It's pretty much the same. (laughs) Luke Cage broke Netflix and then fixed it again, but that's pretty much it. (laughs) Good to know. So is there anything I should buy shares in now? (laughs) Well, judging by this morning, coffee (laughs) uh, and fuzzy slippers. That's about it. Okay, cool. Or, yeah, or something's going to go horribly wrong. There was an incident. Um, I have a sausage dog. Well, she has a sausage dog that came with her when she moved in. And uh, at one point, our ca- one of our cats was hiding in the laundry sink to get away from the dog. <laughs> and the dog found like significantly higher objects to jump up on so he could yeah. be eye to eye with the cat. So it was like laundry basket, windowsill, edge of a box. <laughs> and he was eye to eye for about 10 seconds and then slowly tipped over. Amazing. Yeah, so entirely Looney Tunes. We've accepted this house as pretty much a cartoon. I think only only worry if he brings a mallet with him. Oh, Jesus. Yeah, things could go badly. <laughs> yeah, I'm going to be a little bit croaky because um, I did have a cocktails and Jeopardy night last night over at my house with some friends. Good work. So there was a lot of yelling at the television, and so I'm a touch croaky this morning. <laughs> That's cool. Um yeah, we watched eight episodes of Jeopardy and got very invested in the different champions. <laughs> Including one lady who made all kinds of little gestures. Like, whenever she said something, she had to make a little, like, presenting gesture with her hand. And it was kind of adorable. And we were just like, this lady's great. Look at her. Because she would sit, go to say something, and the right shoulder would dip, and her hand would come out like she was presenting a platter. Like, That's amazing. <laughs> she was our favorite. What happened yep. today? Tell me about today. So today I, I was at work, because I work evenings and weekends, such as the glamorous world of showbiz. <laughs> and so I, I work in a theatre, and I've done two shows, but I was fortunate in that I did not have to go in and do the laundry beforehand this morning, which was very nice. That shortened my day somewhat. Oh, that's good. That's good. I think the genesis of becoming an adult is realising how much, whether you can get laundry on the line, like really determines how good of a day you're having. Yes. The the trick is, I so I mean, the laundry that I didn't have to do this morning was, was work-related, but mm-hmm. the, the brilliance of realising that the washing machine has a timer delay on it, so if you can do your own laundry to set, uh, so that by the time you wake up, it's done. Oh, that's that excellent. Is, that's an amazing skill. It's a very good thing. and Because you've already achieved something by breakfast. Exactly. And it's one of the situations where you won't be caught with that a situation of being out somewhere and seeing some storm clouds and going, oh, no, I've got washing on oh, no. Yeah. Everyone's like, oh, isn't it nice, this, this nice little rain shower? And you're like, yeah, yeah, it would be. I bet that washing was <laughs> almost dry. It was almost dry. It was almost dry. perfect. <laughs> it had that fresh laundry smell that you just can't recreate without sunshine. Exactly. And I had to do one of my few handyman things that I ever do because I'm not a particularly handy person. I'm, in fact, an exceptionally clumsy person. <laughs> and so um, because our house didn't have a clothesline when we moved in, and so we went to you know our giant Home Depot equivalent, which is Bunnings, and I was, I was like, look, you know, we don't want to spend a lot of money. Let's just get one of those wheel things with a clothesline on it. And apparently yep. Australia doesn't sell those, like not since the 1950s. And so we got this incredibly complicated plastic number, which looks like an air conditioning unit. And you like wire it to the fence and you pull on this bar and out comes four clotheslines. And you can then pull it across the yard and hook it to a oh. wall and you've got four clotheslines. It's, it's amazing. I love it. <laughs> <laughs> that sounds and then you can put it away when you're not drying clothes. So, exactly. So you don't, you know, clothesline yourself. Perfect. Yeah. Yes. These are important important things to consider. Exactly. Small pleasures. Although speaking of small pleasures, uh the joy in our household at the moment is that yesterday we bought a steam mop. Yes. 
that is another um, like signifier <laughs> of adulthood. The number of conversations I've had with people about steam mops and how much they love them. I don't. I have too much carpet. Like I don't have enough just hard surfaces to justify buying one. Yeah, they sound amazing. Maybe I'll have to get one anyway to do like the tiny bit of vinyl that I own. Well, that's the thing is that the last couple of weekends because uh, we've got all hardwood floors, like you know most of Australia, and then we have yeah. a couple of sort of large carpets like under the dining table and in the living room and stuff. And so we've got a vacuum for the carpets and a hard floor attachment vacuum, which sucks. It never really works. So <laughs> It sucks, it sucks. Yeah. Oh, I see what you did there. Uh, <laughs> for, two, for two weekends, I would vacuum, and Kimiko was like, I should really mop, and then didn't. And then this weekend, I vacuumed, and she goes, we should go and buy a steam mop. <laughs> and I said, yeah, then, sure. Yeah, make it a game, and then you want to do it all the time. Well, because here's the thing. We went to the store, the Godfrey's Superstore of steam mops, and we found this one, and it was $99, and we looked it up and like, yeah, that's the one we want for what we have. And so there's a spot where you can try it, where they've got a fake floor, where they've, like, written on it in crayon and stuff. Right. And so you can, like, see how it works and how effective it is. And so we try it out, and the salesman comes over and is like, oh, I see you're looking at uh, at the model number. And we're like, yeah, yeah, we think this is the one we want. And he goes, okay, well, I do also have this one. And he pulls out this, what I can only say is, like, a proton pack from Ghostbusters. <laughs> And he, like, latches on this, like, transforming apparatus and goes, look how good this one is. And it, like, laminates the floor, and it's amazing. And meanwhile, as he was doing this complicated procedure, I glanced over his shoulder, and I saw that the price on this steam apparatus he had was $650. No, thank you. And I think that that is a brave (laughs) man going for the upsell from a $99 one that we have to a $650 one. Like, I salute him, but we had already yeah. made our choice. And then we got home and realized the name of the model is the Steamy Wonder. That's, I, I mean, that's worth it alone. Whether it works <laughs> or not, I would have bought it on those grounds. And and the people who came over to, to Jeopardy when I was making drinks for everyone, Kimiko took them into the back room and showed them the steam mop, and there was a and I'm like, where is everyone? And I hear, oh, and I do this, and it looks really good, and it's so easy too. And I'm just like, we, we've become that family. It was like, come over, we'll convert you to our appliances. I once had a party as a teenager where my, my friend Tom and I ended up standing in the kitchen discussing the, the aesthetics and function of our oven. Um, and just <laughs> like, going, this is a really nice oven. Yeah, it's really good. I really like the way these turn. They sort of click so you can see what setting it's on when you're turning the hob on. It's like a gas hob and, a, and an electric oven. That's really good. And we were like 19 and my dad said we had a hatch that went between the, the kitchen and the, and the dining room. My dad just sort of peered through it. You could just see his face appearing. Like, what on earth are you talking about? Like, just watching us talking about how... You kids are supposed to be stealing liquor and making out. You should, should not be going, talking yeah, about... Look at this amazing oven. <laughs> and it, like, it was just a normal oven, but it was just... Was like, I really like this oven. So, speaking of ovens, I think the first time I saw an oven where the light was at the back of the oven rather than the top of the oven, my mind was blown. That is the best I, idea. Yeah. Yes, because then it illuminates everything. Yeah, and so if you've got, like, the grill pan up the top, it's like it's right under the light. If you've forgotten to take that out, that's it. You can't see what's happening. (laughs) I really appreciate an oven with with a a clear enough glass door that you can watch your stuff cooking properly. If it's it's too frosted a door, then where's the enjoyment in that? You can watch cakes rise this way. See, having lived in rental properties pretty much my whole life, I can say that majority of the places I went, there was enough stuff stuck between the two panes of glass that you fair, would never fair. be able to see. You'd have this sort of <laughs> amber-tinted, oh, I think I can see a shit. I think that's, yeah, that's the edge, I think. And you'd have to do the, the terrible thing, which would open the oven door. Yes, that's always door. the fear. Yeah. And you end up with a really flat cake. No. Don't let the air in. Three or four apartments ago, I moved in, and I had my friends Annie and Joel over, uh, and I said I was going to cook them something, and um, they had the what I think of as the Swiss watch of dietary restrictions, which is that Annie couldn't do gluten or dairy, right. and Joel was a vegetarian. Right. Oh, I know I know someone who has um, all of those things in one person. Ah. Yeah. But, but see, one person would be enough, would be fine, because it's like, okay, I make the one thing for you. Actually, yes, yeah, then you can have one dish. But instead, I have to make meat stuff for myself and Annie, and I have to make... Things that, that uh, have gluten for Joel because he needs carbs or he'll die because he's an extremely tall, thin, vegetarian person. <laughs> and so uh, what ended up happening, though, is that it was my first time cooking in this new oven, and I hadn't realized that someone had taken one of the, the plates 
and had wedged it in the bottom so the oven stayed maybe maybe two centimeters open the entire time. And this was uh, and this was maybe April in Australia, so the beginning of like leading into summer, sorry, leading yeah. out of summer. And yeah. so we were there and we were just sweating to death, and I was just <laughs> repeatedly apologizing. I'm just like, I'm sorry, I'm so sorry. I know. Here's the food. No one wants to touch it because we're all dying of heat stroke. I'm, I'm so sorry. <laughs>